Sorry. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> okay, go. <laughs> All right. Hello again, Matthew. Hey, Ryan. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. You're joining us from Microsoft Office, I see. Yeah, I know. I can I can draw here on the board. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know right. my head or the board. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're getting old, aren't we? <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> so, that's a good way of saying it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so ready for another episode of Cloud Simplified? Let's do it. All right. So, uh, Lewis, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, so I uh, I understand that uh, you want to talk to us a bit today about some of the things that we can do with Azure and the cloud about um, you know not requiring servers to be able to to solve some solve all the world's problems. No, that's well, crazy. perhaps not requiring servers, as in not requiring you to configure them. There's lots. Yeah, that's of correct. Well, yeah, that, that's correct. <laughs> we 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 make them very transparent or nearly invisible. So yeah. Yeah, I wish I made yeah. enough money as the guy who obviously can't. The word serverless, which obviously is that's kind of an oxymoron. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, so why why don't you go ahead and give a, a little introduction to yourself as well? Because I understand you also have uh, a podcast that that you have, um, you, where you talk about some of the cloud topics and so forth. Yeah, absolutely. So, my name is Lewis Berman. I uh, I'm a cloud solutions architect uh, working for Microsoft. What that means is that I help. Some of our largest companies uh, do very large and or interesting things in the cloud. So I have personally fielded, uh, I guess this is in 2016, but it's not been much surpassed, the largest HPC cluster ever done in the cloud. That's like, you know, thousands of cores, you know, all in one memory set doing stuff. I've, I've done lots of small things too and everything in between. I created the very first uh, Azure CDN before Azure created the first CDN about two years later. And uh, so I've been puttering about, about it. And, um, you know, uh, you know, I'm supposed to say uh, that uh, all sorts of things, Azure's wonderful and everything, but it, it's really important to know, I don't really understand how to do programming any longer without the cloud, right? <laughs> so I used to have all these great skills. I could do things on desks. I could work with languages like C++. I could, you know, do all sort of arcane networking things and, and stuff. You know, the Win32 API and, you know. We built data centers. <laughs> I mean, like, millions yeah. and millions and millions of dollars building data centers. All that is for naught. I don't know anything. So yeah. it turns out, though, that if you want to uh, do modern development and you want to get an incredible amount of code done in a very short period of time uh, and you want to de-risk your entire organization and process, then Azure is the way to do it. And, uh, you know, I'm paid to say I love Azure, but the truth of it is I love Azure. So. <laughs> and, as do uh, Matthew and I, and I that's for, that's for yeah. sure. I was going to yeah. what else are you doing this week? <laughs> so, and, yeah, you and know. I feel a little stupid about it, but I, you know, we were talking about this the other week. We don't really do on modern apps any longer. At least I don't. And uh, so you used to have all these tricks and you used to have, conceive of things uh, in an on-modern sense. And I think that's what I want to talk about today. So there's a there company who, excuse me? As I said, there used to be lots of plumbing you had to build, you know, to be able to allow your applications to communicate, you know, the different layers and tiers, you know, we had WCF and, you know, yeah. and SOAP and all these different mechanisms. And 
today you can just you know build a function and exactly. put it out there, not have to worry about scaling. You know, very very easily. You know, communicate with said function with a web app. Um, actually, you can have a web app, not even really run on a server per se. You know, it's like a static, yep. you know, single page application that just calls your functions. Mm. So yeah, it's it, th things have evolved. Uh, you know, s significantly to allow that developer to build something that delivers business value quickly. Absolutely, I, yeah. I'll give a bit of scale on how Azure is compared to what it used to be. So I used to own a company called Braintree, and we made software for selling shareware and other software over the net called Money Pump. Okay. And we spent in, I guess this starting in 97 to 99, uh, we had a team of six people who put two entire man years apiece. So that's 12 man years to work on a product basically opened a couple of dialogues, transferred back and forth, you know, uh, or order to make it happen, enable through encryption, uh, the use of the program. But mostly it was incredible amounts of glue. And, you know, I'm sure you guys have had this thing you have at one point in your life, there's some piece of code. It's the most important, interesting thing you own. So I had four or five CDs at the time. These are CDs, not even DVDs. Right. I had them in a safe deposit box. You know, they're the latest and greatest. This is when we weren't doing a lot of, lot of, of source that control. That was your off-site backup? Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So the point was, years go by, and somewhere in, uh, it must be 2015, I'm looking in a closet. And it turns out, I have those CDs. They had been transferred. We closed that, that account when we moved. And, uh, and the most important thing I had and the work of six guys working for two years was in the closet. This happened to be on a Friday. So I got in my head, I know how to do modern development. And so I went ahead and I didn't do like the entire thing in one weekend, you know, it wasn't like that, but there was, there was a bunch of client server code. There was like 10 or 15 of the big pieces were client server sort of things. And I just, in a couple of hours, I wrote the equivalent of it. It's like nothing. So the story I want to tell you today is a modern story in that ilk, right? So there's okay. a company in Boston. I won't give you their name, uh, but they manage, uh, you know, uh, home healthcare workers, and they do it for for the entire country. And they want to have information: what they did, who they did it, what have you. And um, they decided they want to be a modern dev Azure shop, and they want to go all serverless and. But serverless in their sense meant, um, how can I say this? I guess I would think of serverless as the serverless are components of an app. You know, they're part of the stuff that, that pulls the solution together. But uh, it's not the app itself, right? It, it, it's construction tech. They right. took it from the view that it's serverless and, oh, yeah, by the way, here's what we want to do. So, so that was already not, not a very good thing. And then they decided logic apps was the way to go. And, and I don't mean logic apps and what I would consider the normal use of logic apps, which is to do connectors and glue and send off emails and receive information from SAP or, or put things together. They wanted to create an orchestrator based on logic apps. And in their world, they received more than a million records a day that they had to munge around and do processing on. So it's a million records in an XML file, do processing, fan out, do some stuff, ultimately fan back in and go forward. So uh, they tried to do this 
purely in logic apps and they had a team of people, you know, a dozen people working mm -hmm. for months and it didn't work. It, it worked a little bit, you know, it worked on little bits of data, but it, it couldn't scale and they didn't understand why it was. And so I naturally, uh, you know, I'm an architect. I know how to do everything. And uh, so I went ahead and told them how, how to do it better, or at least what I thought was better, and or at least some explorations of how to do it better. And this, as you can imagine, that didn't turn out well. They just wanted their solution to work. So it turns out, and the reason I say Boston is because I live in Philadelphia. And so I had a five-hour train ride from Boston, Philadelphia. And I was like, they didn't listen to me. Maybe I could show it to them. So, so let me show it to you instead. And let's see if I can actually share my screen. All right, Louis. So, so I, I have to yeah. give you some props to the name of this because that's a oh. fun, fun city doodah. <laughs> no, it, it, well, yeah, it's fun city doodah. Actually, I never realized that. It, it's, it was supposed to be funkity. You know, like get down, get funky. Oh, I, okay. Uh, but I like fun city better, and I think I'm going to change that. That that's even hilariouser. <laughs> so I try to have stupid fun names for every one of my products. So uh, anyway, uh, I'm going to show you Funkity Doodah. Funkity Doodah was to show this company how they could work in a more modern dev sort of sense using Azure Functions and durable tasks, and quite frankly, just knowledge of how to work in an Azure friend, friendly sort of, sort of sense. So so, I, so, so taking a, a really super quick step back, we don't have to go into great detail about logic apps and functions and so forth, but you know, we mentioned a couple of things already. You know, logic apps is kind of more of the orchestrator type man or mechanism we have in Azure to you know, wire up. Uh, I like to think of it as kind of a patch panel service. You, know, you have input coming here, you want to wire it up to output over here, maybe do some stuff in the middle. That's, that stuff, that's great. Yeah, that's right. That stuff could be a function, you know, that might do interesting things with that data, um, you know, or use something native, you know, within the, the, the logic app service. And a function takes that a step farther where you can actually deploy code to do very customized things. Yep. And you mentioned, you mentioned one third thing, the durable functions, which is, you know, typically, you know, going back to that that funny word serverless, you know, at the end of the day it runs on a server, but um, when you have a serverless application, it tends to want to be stateless where you don't, you know, where you're not able to maintain state across calls or be able to have something maybe asynchronously running that returns back, you know, hey, I'm 20% done and 50% done and so forth. Durable functions provides you a way to maintain state, um, you know, yeah. across calls. So just kind of outlining those yeah. three little scenarios. I'm I'm trying to find a, a lovely web page, and I don't see one that show, shows us. So I'll I'll just okay. walk you we'll, through we'll, it. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes. I just wanted to to yeah. kind of quickly kind of walk through those three things that we mentioned. So okay, exactly. Yeah. So so you have to step back, right? It, it is we used to write uh, small little programs, and they worked with our modicum of data, and then we were done. There's a big difference between running a piece of code on two, three, four hundred. Uh, pieces of data and running it on 2 million, 5 million, 10 million, 100 million, and more. And while, you know, all of your listeners undoubtedly will not be working at that scale, I'd be very surprised if there weren't several of them. And so you really need to think about the cloud in a very, very, very different way. So funky doodah, <laughs> you know, uh, basically the purpose of this is to take a really large XML file, break it up, uh, and then 
do work on the stuff individually. That's what's called a fan out. When you look at the durable tasks uh, uh, link, uh, you'll see there's a diagram. You're taking a job, one job, fan it out into tens, hundreds, thousands of jobs, and then ultimately fan it back in. In other words, collect statistics or maybe final work result from all of those things. So uh, the Logic app design this company did work great on XML files that have hundreds, maybe a thousand uh, items. But when you went into hundreds of thousands and millions of items, it just fell apart because ultimately logic apps in an orchestration sense are not meant to orchestrate really, really big processes. They're meant to be building blocks of other things. Whereas functions, work at this stuff perfectly. So we have a right. bunch of- And XML's biggest benefit of being self-describing is its worst, <laughs> worst enemy in terms of being getting exactly. bloated very quickly if you have a lot of data. So inter exactly. interesting, so, yep. It's really important to understand that um, the XML wasn't there. It's something upstream. You might have substituted JSON for, as an example. You might have substituted pointers in JSON that then pointed to other data somewhere asynchronously, which would help scaling. But in okay. either case, the durable task library works great for this. So we have a, a tool, a backend that is going to take this data once it's processed and only put it in a Cosmos DB. And then we have a worker, which is going to do all of the orchestration that is an Azure function. We have a couple of helper libraries, the Cosmos library, just to talk to Cosmos, some common helper classes. And then I like to, uh, when I do communication stuff, to use Postman to kick things off. But if the thing you need to kick off is relatively complex, I tend to write my own um, program to do it. So kickoff will do this. And we're going to look at all this stuff. And then finally, I didn't have access to their data on the train. So I just grabbed a comparable data uh, set from, it, it's some, the Common Core of Data XML format. Uh, it's just a bunch of data about schools. And the data okay. in this case didn't matter, it was the pattern that sort of mattered. So let's okay. look at the actual program itself, right? And let me switch classes, I have to stare a little bit more. I don't see my, my face, so hopefully I'm not obscuring myself in, in the video camera, right? So, um, here was the raw data, you know, just bunch of CSV sort of stuff that I got. And, you know, this was gig uh, size, whatever the case may be. Uh, and then what I'm going to do is I am my kickoff program, which is going to ultimately uh, just make sure that the files and the URI work. And then it's going to upload a blob of the actual data to be worked on once it parses it. That's the schools, that XML file that, that I am creating. Okay, so so you're just doing, you're just taking this comma separated data, converting it to XML, uploading it to blob storage just for <clears throat> the sake of mimicking your customer yep. scenario of having lots of data in, in an exactly. XML file. Okay, got it, it, okay. And then it literally kicks off a message to the Azure function. And I've created uh, an Azure function. We'll look at this in detail. But basically, this is an orchestrator. The orchestrator says, hey, get me a message, kick a process off, do some stuff, fanned out. This thing, jobs, could be literally millions, which it got from another process. And then 
collate the stuff together. In this case, we're putting together a report, our own report that says what happened and how, how it goes. And that there's, I'm looking at 150 lines of code. So I, I'm sure I haven't counted in this, but I'd be very surprised to find out that all this code was more than a thousand lines of code. Very approachable. Uh, the sort of thing that once you know how to get started on the thing, you can get going. So let's just run this for to see what it is. So it's real important from a startup project perspective to we want to have the Azure function. I called it worker kicking off. And the Azure function is talking to a back end, which is just a control, you know, an ASP.NET core app with a controller. And that mimicked their environment. Some other program was the actual controller to receive this stuff. So if I'm going to run this thing, I'm going to just run both of those. Give it a second to kick off. By the way, I'm using Visual Studio 2019. Today is literally the very first day. So I did run this, but you know, uh, if the demo gods are going to treat me fairly. Oh, something really important just happened. So when I was running this last, I actually went ahead and was trying to break it. And so uh, I basically uh, deleted things. I had processes that didn't finish. It's throwing errors right now. So uh, let, let's go through the here. I don't remember exactly where I was going, but the whole purpose of the durable task library is to do a few things. It is to coordinate all the various pieces of action that you want done in a, an overall uh, project. That's the first thing. The second thing is it is designed to be durable. It is retrying stuff. So in this case, it is failing on retrying stuff. That's because uh, I left it in indeterminate in state. And ultimately, for each of these records, I forget how many I, I was doing, uh, it is trying to parse them, recognize them, and ultimately call a uh, web service on, on the back end. So we'll let this, this stuff go. And I, I apologize that I didn't clear, clear this out uh, beforehand. Uh, I'm just going to take a quick look at you know, uh, Azure Cosmos DB. And I'm running this stuff on a, a local emulator, although by no means does it have to be in an emulator, these are just records that are ultimately parsed along. And uh, so that's an interesting thing about Azure Functions is that you don't actually need, um, you know, you can test them locally. You can you yep. can run these and on our Edge devices or Edge, Ed, you know, IoT Edge. You can run them on premises. You can run them on Azure Stack. You can run them, yep. with, you know, our on-premises solution for kind of mimicking some aspects mm -hmm. of Azure on-prem. And then you can also run it, you know, as you're doing right now in an emulator on uh, on, on your, your PC locally. So, yeah. You know, yep. So I'm going to, and, and I apologize for this, I'm actually just deleting the, the files in storage. This is also running on a local emulator. And the reason why I'm doing this is because I've left it in indeterminate testing state. And while I could definitely fix this, uh, you know, by going through all the levels, yeah. it would just take a fair amount of time. So mm -hmm. we're starting, we have no blobs, no anything. Uh, 
we're going to then, I'm going to go here and I'm going to actually delete the collection. And this was, um, hold on a second, that was the school's collection. Mm -hmm. And then this will basically flatline me in my world. And then the last thing I need to do was we had blobs. You may have noticed I need to create a blob container. Funkity Duda. I think that is correctly spelled. And the reason why I am doing that is only because there is a bug that was not creating that directly. So okay. let's see if the, the demo gods are going to be with me again. And uh, let me just uh, real quickly uh, make sure everything is exactly as I expected. So the worker and the back end are starting up. Uh, I am talking. This is this key turns out to be a magic key that's talking to the emulator for Cosmos, but could easily talk to into the cloud. Uh, and then I have a thing called local settings, which I'm using development storage, uh, but that could easily be blob storage in the cloud. I'm only doing 100 jobs for this demo, but that I think it's either zero or negative one means do however many jobs you want. And then I'm talking ultimately to my, to my, um, what may call it, to my backend control. So, so, so that, that would be your, your function basically that, that you're, <clears throat> that you're communicating with. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and of course, because everything is going to be like that, it just failed because I locked the file. <laughs> I hope you're having fun and making fun of me as I am going through all the, the normal stuff that that happens. Um, I originally was going to do this on my laptop, which had both uh, 2017 and 2019, but you know, today is just one of those days. So well, it's all it's, Ryan's fault. We'll just blame him. It's <laughs> definitely Ryan's fault. Ryan had communication problems getting up and up and going, but yeah, the reality is, true. is yeah. you know, it is. Oh my God. Some people. So I have a locked file. So uh, I'm going to have to wait for that locked file to unlock, or I will literally have to reboot. So uh, do you have the function emulator running in the background? Maybe it's still. Yeah, I'm going to. Let me close down storage. Let me close down. This is uh, for, for those of you out in the audience who are looking at uh, what happens. It, it turns out that development of all type is relatively difficult, even when, when of course, it is running uh, and doing what, what it's supposed to do. And the problem with this stuff, of course, is that I went ahead and, um, you know, tried to get this stuff tested before I did it in front of you. And so, of course, I'm being punished for that. We'll give it one more go. Usually I do this when I have a room of 50 or 60 people. So oh, there's the pressure there. <laughs> yeah, so th this is a little bit of a treat. And uh, great. So you see, I get a file load exception. Mm -hmm. It is literally, uh, you know what? I have an idea. Let's go ahead. This is the beauty of source control. And, uh, you know, I'm going to pretend that uh, I did this on purpose. So if we go to repos, I'm at dev.azure.com, Azure how to slash funkity doo F-U-N-C-I-T-Y-D-O-D-A. And this is the project. 
uh, for your, which you can download. I'm going to repos and files, and then I'm going to do a clone. And I'll clone this onto Visual Studio. Uh, and uh, just make sure that I am. Yep, I'm good to go. Feel free, of course, to edit this and say silly things about me in the background. <laughs> Get her done. You know, you know, it's always like one of those things you hear uh, an album where you know there's this big setup to people that you're supposed to, uh, you know, uh, clap or do stuff, and the, the guy yeah. invariably always says. And don't keep it in the recording. And then, of course, they do keep it in this recording. Yeah, so, this will probably make the recording. <laughs> so I'm waiting, waiting down to clone this. So, so anyway, what we're going to show ultimately is that the thing works and that the thing resumes. And I want to walk you through the actual code of how it goes. So here I am. I'm going to clone from the funkydoo repository, and I'm going to just clone it onto the desktop with a different name. And the reason why we're doing this, is we have basically a locked DLL, uh, and this is purely a dev time issue. And you'll find sometimes when, when you're doing uh, function development or web jobs development, which is, which is very similar to it, if you crash out as opposed to close out of your instance, you can leave open file handles. And you'd say to yourself, hey, why don't they make that not happen? But it turns out that in a function sort of sense, it's, it's a little hard to be deterministic like that. It is, because uh, everything is effectively free uh, threads doing their own thing. I love it. It's like, not only is this cloud simplified, this is like dev simplified. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I hope it is dev simplified. So. I think it is. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to open the project and solution I just created uh, on the desktop. Uh, funky do do dot two. I keep wanting to sing zippity doo in my head. I'm going to freak. You know, you're giving me an earworm that'll last all day. I the repository. We could we can rename it. Zippity is <laughs> a perfectly fine name. Uh, so. So, you know, I have a long history of doing this sort of stuff, stupid names for stupid things. So, so uh, back in the day, uh, we made a lot of money with a product called Money Pump. And the reason we named it Money Pump was because it pumped money. It made us money. And we were, were thrilled to have that. And uh, so I think this is the exact same sort of thing. So rebuild all failed for some reason. You know, if you ever have a need for another job, I think marketing might be your calling. <laughs> I am still getting the system file load. It is, it's actually a dependency. It's not my file. It is some other file. So gentlemen, how do you think I should proceed? I can walk through this, but I, it'd be really great to show it. Yeah, let's just walk through it. Um, so okay. I'm sorry, uh, dear listener, I am sorry. I trust me, it works. <laughs> All your bases belong to us now. <laughs> yes. Okay. So we're going to start through the various projects, uh, you know. And firstly, uh, do, do, do you have I this deployed by by chance into your subscription? No, I do not have it. Okay. Deployed four or five months ago and forgot about until you said, "Hey, let's do a thing." <laughs> okay. <laughs> so. 
the very most important thing, and I would encourage anyone to do something similar, is if you have a product that you want to share with people as source, it pays to have a license header in all the files. And there's this tool called license header. And if you look at any one of my source files, you will see that I have a license in all my code. And I try very hard to make sure that of course I make everything open source. So let's look at the code. We have a controller and its entire job is to go ahead and write a record, the school record in this case, which is coming over the wire uh, and just has a few fields. This is, imagine this is the extracted info from XML file. And the idea is to write that into Cosmos. And then very, very importantly, uh, you return a status code. And the reason why this is a status code is important is because remember we were talking about fanning out, in other words, taking a collection of work and doing them individually, hundreds, thousands, maybe millions of threads, mm -hmm. uh, and then ultimately bringing all the results back together, fanning in. Well, it turns out that is a particularly difficult thing to do. Uh, but if you use the durable task library, it's particularly easy. So the back end, you can just think of it as a, a web service. It's purely there to generate load. Let's go the other direction and look at the worker. The worker has a function, which is funky do dot orchestrator, the physical file name and the function, or actually even the actual a name of the of the method don't have to be the same. But funky do dot orchestrator is the thing that's ultimately going to surface into Azure Functions. I get some configuration information. Uh, I and very importantly, I'm going to have the maximum number of jobs to do in any shot, and that's purely for uh, testing purposes only. If I had a million jobs, I should do a million jobs, and then I have my backend uh, URI for that web service, the backend web service we looked at. So then I just get the name of Blob, just using a helper method, uh, going. It's being pumped in uh, to the orchestrator. And then I use a function called funky do da get process school jobs. I realize that's a little verbose, but this is the thing that is going to fan and get the jobs themselves. And there's a really important thing when you're doing uh, durable tasks. This special orchestrator function, the function that has the durable orchestration context cannot have any multi-threaded stuff in it intrinsically. It can only do this await task when all. So, but we're going ahead and we're getting all these jobs, which, you know, has an await in it. It's literally downloading the file, putting it into a stream, and then it's enumerating through that stream to create jobs, which are a chunk of data that's ultimately going to say what you're going to do, what you're going to create, uh, how it's going to uh, be broken into little pieces. So this then, is so if this is going through all the lines and basically invoking your 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 function that actually does the work. So, well, not invoking. Yeah. It'd be better to say it's preparing to invoke. Because you're going to end up here if you had a million pieces of things to work on. The jobs collection. Uh, the list of jobs would ultimately be a million things. 
Then okay. it comes back over here, right? You, you've just called an orchestrated function. And the reason why we do this as an orchestrated function is let's say in the middle of getting those hundreds, thousands, millions of jobs to process, you fail. Well, the durable task library knows how to resume. So you'll see constructs when you're doing durable tasks uh, for intrinsic resumption. So even a baseline Azure function that has a blob trigger, if you get triggered by a blob's existence somewhere and you do something and you fail, it will try it five times by default over. And if that still fails, then it will take the original message that was kicking off the, the blob trigger and put it into a poison message queue for further processing. And it's really important that when you're creating robust, highly performant uh, applications that you can scale out across uh, multiple machines, that you figure out how to resume no matter what happens. So uh, basically, I get all these jobs. And then I have a very simple task uh, that is going to process individual jobs. And notice that all it's doing is adding the tasks together. It's not kicking the stuff off yet, right? But it's calling an activity. An activity is something that can resume. Let's say it had a thousand to do and it blew up on 501. It would do the next 499 the next time through. Uh, and you'll notice there's no special code in here that says, hey, am I resuming? or anything, and my, how do I handle when things fall apart? That's another reason why the durable task library is so great. So if we look for the process school job, I think that's just a very simple uh, thing in this case. You know, I'm basically getting, you know, the call that's going to that back end, right? It's, I'm just calling, uh, you know, the back end, by the way, I don't know if any of you guys are familiar with a library called Flural, Fluent URL, but I am taking the URI, the absolute URI about it, which is a string. Mm -hmm. I'm going to pending to pass a slash API slash segment, and then I'm posting JSON to it. FLURL is a really, really great library for you to use. It, 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 it makes programming... Uh, HTTP calls incredibly, incredibly easy. So the whole reason this thing exists as an activity is something it's being triggered. It does something in this case, uh, it's calling uh, a backend and then it gets a status code and it returns it in a durable way. That status code is the entire reason why we are using durable tasks as opposed to just stuffing a queue ourselves and running the thing off the queue go, going forward. So okay. now if we go back, excuse me? I said, okay, yeah, I'm just walking through, yep. Yep, so now we've basically staged all of the, the tasks to go. And then we have a very simple asynchronous task when all, it runs all the tasks. So if, if you have you know eight cores, it's gonna run them eight at a time. You know, it's going to uh, be very flexible depending upon the, the changing availability of processing power on your system. You need to know heavy duty processing at all, which is really great. 
right? It is, again, we like to get as much of the, the generic code out of our code and concentrate on the value. So I've written orchestrators like this to do what task when all on those tasks would be. And I've written them to 100,000 lines of code level. That is at the level this is. It is really amazing sort of magic. And then once I'm done with all the tasks, all I do is iterate through the results of the individual tasks, which were the instantiation of the jobs that run. And I create a report and I pass the report back. That's it. It's super, super, super simple. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. There's one, one more thing. And remember when we had the, the kickoff, which kicked the thing off literally? Mm -hmm. I have an HTTP start function, which takes a durable orchestration client. That's the starter. And basically, it reads a string that I threw over HTTP. And then it kicks the orchestration off. It starts funky doodah orchestration. So, so if you compare this to to you know running running this all in a you know sequential type manner, like have you compared and contrasted what the you know what the baseline yeah. performance would be? Um, yeah. you know, to kind of so do this thing? There's lots of different ways to compare it. So, firstly, it it is incredibly faster in the sense that it can fan out not only onto multiple cores on uh, a given machine. But this is designed to fan out to multiple cores against hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of machines in some cases, right? So same coding model, whether you're just using a bigger machine and using more of it, or whether you're using tens, hundreds, thousands of machines. So that's the first level. The second is, on one level, it's always, if you think about it, let's pose a hypothetical machine and we had infinite power, infinite threads and stuff, and we just ran in place. And uh, we didn't do any of this stuff. We didn't write anything through a queue, then read from a queue and use an orchestration framework. The trade-off is you're definitely, in some sense, using more CPU, more disk, more network, everything to run in this way. So you don't want this generically in tight, tight inner loops that can fail altogether. But again, this is about a cloud pattern. This is about being cloudified. You're making sure that you can durably resume no matter what happens. And it turns out it adds very little overhead in the real term uh, of thing. As a typical, the most typical path on the happy path is you write a control record, you write a job record. This is into a queue. The job record is read, the control record is updated. That is the yeah. happy path. And then, of course, the work is done. So it's a teeny bit of work. But uh, it's important to note that uh, those resources are literally right there, you know, in the same, not only the same data center, but in the same stamp, the same collection of hardware. Uh, so it runs really damn fast. Yeah, so if, so if you compare that to, um, you know, building out servers or even building vir virtual machines in Azure, You'd have to create some sort of distributed work engine, or use, you know, like, um, exactly. you know, something like a PBS Works or some sort of high throughput compute job scheduler to, you know, to push push work out and assemble the data, the results back. So using a couple of functions, um, you can, you know, peel out a lot of data, pass it into worker functions that actually process each each record, 
and then pass the results in their entirety back um, and, and make use of cloud scale computing in Azure to be able to execute that on however many nodes are required to be able to, uh, you know, however much horsepower is required to be able to accommodate, you know, the number of records you're processing. It's also important to note that the company who I showed this to, uh, they had a lot of dedicated compute in their solution. Whereas this ran with million records very easily. It was like 30 or 35 minutes uh, in our test, if I remember correctly. And it was using all consumption-based functions. So for those of you who don't know, functions runs in two models. Basically, you pre-allocate the hardware you're going to run on, and it's up 24 hours a day. You use it, you pay for it. Or there's the consumption model, which basically you're paying literally for the CPU seconds and the amount of network and storage you're, you're using. It's very, 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 very little. And, uh, and, and how much how much do those cost when they're not running? So like, yeah, there you zero. go. <laughs> literally zero. And, yeah. and, and by the way, that's not even a theoretical, that's a literal zero. Right, and there's right. another piece that I really like about the zero thing. And it's just the general comfort thing. I'm sure a lot of people about Azure are afraid of their spend. We're going to accidentally outspend ourselves. Well, it turns out you can do all the development for something like this locally, right? So it could be in the cloud when you're ready to productionize it. And by the way, uh, on the other side, uh, I always love to talk to DevOps. Maybe we'll have a chance at some future date to talk DevOps, but this really is amenable to being deployed, configured, tested, uh, maintained through Azure DevOps too. It's ultimately just another form of an app service. So it has all the goodness of app services, the way you get managed instance security in without having to have people uh, handle security minutia like, like uh, certificate ro rotation. It has the same logging capabilities. It has the same monitoring capabilities. It has, quite frankly, the same security model, the same you know, way that it's looked at from, from uh, Azure Security Center. So I love that. I love functions, right? You know, I, I, I could talk about them for hours. Yeah, well, this is a you know really cool and powerful story. I think to me, you know, sometimes it's you know with a feature like like functions, it's, it's uh, challenging sometimes to take yep. um, you know something that's fairly abstract that requires you know code to make it work and and execute or even be able to show it off. Yeah, and understand you know how can this bring value to me? So I think that taking something where you have you know, large volumes of data coming in, and you need to you know process it really quickly and be able to to you know report about report back whether or not that was successful or not. So really, you know, it's easy to wrap your your mind around, and yep. and it's even easier when you kind of walk through you know how little code it actually takes to be able to do something that's fairly complex. I think it is like the magic source, and. I started off talking about, I don't know how to do uh, old style development any longer. And I think that is actually true. It is <laughs> um, the vibe in the cloud is decompositional, right? It is basically, if you can break your larger problem into discrete pieces, and preferably if those pieces do not work in coordination except trivially with other things. In other words, if you can parallelize, if you can have a state engine style um, 
processing as opposed to one big gob of code in your old style app, then it's easier to debug. It's, it's quite frankly, from my perspective, easier to conceive of and, and, and do because you can take a piece at a time. You don't have to take the whole thing together. And then, of course, it's just cheaper and more performing. All right. Well, thank you very much, yeah. Liz. I, like I said, I, I think this really, you know, to to me as a as a good example, illustrating how you can take all these different, you know, elements of actually, it's really just using one capability of Azure, you know, Azure Functions, but how you can assemble a number of these services together to be able to solve something fairly complex. And I think this, um, you know, this hopefully solidified it for somebody else out there, maybe thinking about, you know, how can this solve some problems that I might be encountering. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, Lewis. Really appreciate it. Yep. And just once again, I'd encourage anyone who's interested in the thing going to dev.azure.com slash Azure how to slash funky doodah. And uh, <laughs> if you're interested, uh, I have a podcast on Azure, azureability.com, or find it anywhere you find podcasts. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. And uh, looking forward to maybe having you on again, maybe talk about uh, some DevOps stuff. That'd be great. Thanks. All right. Yep. Bye.